If you are in Acts 20, that would be great. Please be there in your Bibles. Or you can just look at the sheet that I've just handed out. Normally, I don't uh, do this, of course. I don't have the text there that... uh, like on a piece of paper for everybody to look at. But there was something that I really wanted you to see today, and I'll get to that in just a minute. So I do have the, uh, the text on a printout for you to look at. But if you have your Bibles open too, that's always great. I love it when people have their Bibles open. We are in the uh, process of uh, moving toward appointing new elders. And so the passage that we're looking at this morning comes at just the right time. And I think that God has some things that he will say to us uh, in this passage this morning that will be of benefit in thinking about what it means for us to appoint new elders. The backdrop for this passage is that this is um, one of those truly uh, dramatic times in the life of the early church. This is a, a poignant moment within church history. And it's fascinating the way that Paul relates to the people to whom he is speaking. Like at this point, Paul is, is wanting to go to Jerusalem. He wants to head back to Jerusalem. He's, he's got his sights set on going there. But he also wants to be as much blessing to the church as he can be before he goes. So he finds himself in a seacoast town, not wanting to take time to go all the way to, to Ephesus, which was... Uh, kind of an, uh, an inland, inland bay, like uh, there was a, an estuary there, so that Paul would have had to kind of go out of his way to go inland into Asia Minor and then come back out if he's going to go into to Ephesus. And so rather than, I hope not all the apostles were quite this lazy, but rather than go all the way into Ephesus with his boat, he just goes down the seashore a ways and then expects that the elders from Ephesus are going to walk to him instead. So that's what he does. He goes to a place called Miletus and he beckons then for the elders in Ephesus to come and to see him. The Holy Spirit has not given Paul all the details about what's going to happen to him. But he says in this text that he is going to be imprisoned. That there is hardship waiting for him. That it's going to be a hard go. And so before he goes through all of that, he decides that he's going to bring these guys down to where he is and spend some time with them. The apostolic ministry that he has started and continued is no longer going to be present in the lives of these men. And so Paul feels like it's absolutely crucial that he get them together And say some things to them because he's about to pass on to them a huge responsibility. And he tells them this, that there's a huge responsibility coming your way. So it's, again, this poignant moment. You can imagine this Paul bringing these elders down to the beach. Knowing that he will never see them again. The Holy Spirit has already told him that his He goes to Jerusalem, that hardship is going to come. And the fact is, is that Paul is on his way to die. It comes after some time, but it's not going to be that long until Paul is killed for his faith. And I think he knows that. And so he brings these people down with whom he had worked for a number of years in the city of Ephesus. 
And he brings them down to the beach. And he wants to talk to them about what it means to be an elder. So I'm going to read a portion of this scripture here. Verse 17. I'm going to read through the sheet that we're looking at. And then make some comments about this. It's a. It's really an amazing event in the life of the early church where Paul calls these people and speaks to them the way that he does. Verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to, fa- to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you, none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I'm innocent of the blood of all men, for I've hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Would you pray with me, please? Holy Father, I pray that as we consider these words of Paul today, that you will bless our church family. Father, help us to have an understanding of what it means to serve in a leadership position within the body of Christ. And Father, we pray that you'd lead us to understanding, to insights. Father, I pray that even now you're forming in the hearts of men the desire to serve and to honor you in the role of elder. And I pray that you would use this text today to draw people in that direction. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen. I have read this text many, many times. It's a a favorite of mine. This, uh, This time where Paul calls these men down to the beach and prays with them and talks to them and shares the gospel again with them, and thinks about leadership with them. This has been a, 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 just a, uh, one of those moments within church history that I've thought about a lot and reflected upon. It's just such a, a poignant moment. I don't know if you've ever experienced this kind of moment. Uh, I have. 
And when I say this kind of moment and that I've experienced that, I mean there are times when I've had to say goodbye to people whom I loved, with whom I had ministered, where there had been sacrifices that we had made together for the Lord, where there had been times when we had shared deeply the things of God and then found ourselves having to say goodbye. And so I remember standing on a sidewalk with, at that point, about my best friend in the world, Ralph Beck, as we loaded our stuff into a small truck. I think we put all of our worldly goods into a 10-foot U-Haul. And we said goodbye to the church in Long Beach, California, and we headed for Canada. It's about 70 miles that you drive through Los Angeles, going from where we were living to the north end of L.A., And I think I cried the whole way as I reflected on what it meant to be with those good people in California for five years of really wonderful ministry, but then to realize that God had taken us in another direction and that we were going off to a new place. So then I I served the Lord for 15 years in Victoria. It was absolutely wonderful. I loved those people. Uh, It was a great relationship, but there came a time when it was time for us to go and do something else. And so I remember again very clearly standing in the parking lot this time of a church building with all of our worldly possessions this time loaded onto a 24-foot truck. Getting ready to go to Texas for schooling. And so I had again to say goodbye to people. And the last person that I said goodbye to was Kirk Roberts, who many of you know. And Kirk and I are dear friends and we'd spent uh, you know, years now raising our children together. And um, I still love him as if he was my earthly brother, but we had to say goodbye. This time it wasn't driving through L.A. that I cried. It was going across on a ferry that I cried. I've done that numerous times now where there a group of people with whom I've served, that I've loved and, and been involved in their lives and then had to say goodbye to them at, at a poignant moment. And so I get this. I get what Paul is feeling, except that with Paul, it's even more dramatic. Because he's not just going off to another place to serve the Lord. Paul, at this point, is going off to a destiny that's going to lead him to die. Tradition says that Paul was beheaded for his faith in the city of Rome a few years after this. I'm not anticipating that. For me. And of course, he's an apostle. And this was the beginning of the church. It wasn't just one preacher out of millions. It was the apostle Paul. And so it's in that sense, a completely different kind of moment that he's experiencing. Now, as he talks about their role and what it means for them to serve the things that are going to face them. I want you to notice, like I've put a bunch of text there in red. And here's what kept striking me as I read that this week. I'd never seen this before. But notice that in this passage, which is clearly oriented toward talking about elders and what their role is to be in the church and how they're supposed to serve, notice that the vast majority of this text is not about the role of the elders specifically, The red is all about Paul talking about himself. Do you see that? 
Like, what is that? More than two-thirds of the text? Is Paul simply talking about himself and his own role? And I don't think that it's because he's just arrogant. Well, this kind of puzzled me. What is it that Paul is doing? He's getting ready to leave them. He doesn't have to lift his profile in their eyes. It's not like he has to make a point and say, you need to respect me as I leave. So that can't be the point. What's he trying to do? Well, I thought about that, and here was my conclusion. And I think the key comes in, I think it's blue on your sheet. The last verse there in verse 35. In everything I did, he says, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And these words just jumped out on me, out to me on the page. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Why is it that there is so much red on the page? It's because Paul says, I showed you. And so he chronicles the kind of things that he has gone through and the kind of things that he will go through for the cause of the kingdom. This is what it means for him to be a servant of Christ. His life is instructive for those who come after him. He had modeled for them how they were to lead in the church. And so it's not just the part that's in black there and the commands of Paul, or yeah, the, the instructions and guidance of Paul specifically to the elders that is instructive. What's instructive is Paul's whole life for ministry and what they're supposed to be. He sums all of this up in three brief statements when it comes to his own life. Watch this. And this, I think, is, is in many ways the key to what it means to be a leader and an elder in the Lord's church. First of all, he says, work hard. That's right out of verse 35. I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. And so when we go to choose people who are going to serve in the Lord's church, we need to find those who are not just willing, but in fact, who have been working hard. Who is it that works hard among us for the Lord? And that shows us something about this person's heart. The second thing he says is help the weak. I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. And again, there's a certain heart that goes around, goes along with helping the weak. That if we're going to be choosing someone to serve among us, they need to be that kind of person. And then finally, he says, give. You give of yourself. You give of your life. Work hard. Help the weak. And then he says, give, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I was thinking about how I don't know of any passage in Scripture that is so taken out of context usually as this one. When I say, it's more blessed to give than to receive, what do you think of? Christmas. And all those times when we thought to ourselves, man, I didn't like the gift I got. I gave a better one. Well, but it's better to give than to receive. 
That's, that's a passage we misquote. That's a passage we quote out of context. Because the verse is clearly talking about leadership. And it's talking about the giving of one's life. And this is a kind of summary view. So this is why we talk about the elder's role as being a role of servant leadership. Work hard. Help the weak. Give. Now, normally, we love to apply worldly perspectives about leadership in the church. We like to talk about other kinds of qualifications that there are for leadership. As if knowing how to make money or run a business or gain respect for yourself or get others to follow you in making money qualifies you for leading in the church. But I don't see any of that here. The fact is that doesn't qualify you. In fact, what I find is that it usually hampers one's efforts toward being the kind of person that God wants them to be. So we look at these kinds of criteria so often and think that that's what God's calling for in terms of leadership. We stupidly think that in one's success in the business world, that that will translate into effectiveness in the church. When in reality, it simply doesn't matter. And the fact is, is that when it comes to effectiveness in the world, I really don't care. It'd be nice if people had some kind of skills, I suppose, people skills, leadership skills to some extent. There's no doubt that that's important to some extent. But when it comes right down to it, when we're talking about people who are going to lead within the body of Christ, I want them to work hard. I want them to care about those who have needs to minister to the weak. And I want them to give, to give of themselves to the body of Christ. Those things are things of the heart. Those are the things that matter more than anything else. And so as you start thinking about persons that could fulfill this role, ask yourself the question, does this person have the heart? Does this person have a heart that allows them to work hard for the Lord? Do they have a heart that shows that they're already caring about and ministering to the weak? Do they have a heart that allows them to give himself consistently, often, to the work? Does he make sacrifices for the body of Christ? Does he have that kind of heart? That, more than anything, is the kind of person that we need when it comes to serving in the church. Now, there's just a couple of other things here that I think are significant about this passage. Notice that all three words that are usually used for the elder or shepherd are used in this passage. Verse 17 specifically says the word elder. Later on, you'll find the word overseer. And Paul calls these people to be shepherds. And those words are significant. We need to think a little bit about what those words mean. About how an elder tends to apply someone with imply someone with experience, someone with some wisdom, who's going to be able to teach and to lead in wise ways. The word overseer includes within it the notion of management, of instruction, of guidance, uh, even being willing to, to give people instructions and have them follow. And then, of course, the notion of shepherd has to do with a person who can lead a flock who cares 
for the flock, who feeds the flock, who takes the flock in a positive direction that's good for the flock. So all three of those words are, are, are present here and need to be thought about with respect to what it means to serve as elder, overseer, and shepherd. Then there are some specific commands, and you'll see these in black in the text on the sheet I gave you. Keep watch over yourselves, which is so crucial in today's society. It's so easy for a person to fall. We hear about people who fall constantly within the body of Christ, and they do incredible damage to the body of Christ when they fall. And so an elder needs to be one who keeps watch over himself. He also keeps watch over the flock, cares for it, protects it, makes sure that it's okay. We're supposed to be, as elders, shepherds of the church. And then he says, be on your guard. And what I notice about all three of those instructions, all four of these instructions is, call yourselves, be vigilant yourselves toward watching out for Satan's attack. Because Satan wants the church to be destroyed. He is, in fact, a prowling lion. He wants to destroy us. And there have to be people who are willing to stand up and say to him, no, and be qualified to stand against the scheme of Satan in wishing to destroy the church. And so false teaching, misunderstanding of the truth, misapplications of scripture, a relaxing of moral standards, all of these things are challenges for us in this age. We live in an age where Christians oftentimes are not as diligent about sound doctrine as they sometimes have been. And because of that, men have to know their Bibles. They have to understand truth. And we have to be willing to guard that truth. We have to now, in this age, I think, know our Bibles better than ever and able to stand against the attacks that Satan will bring. And then the last thing that needs to be noticed here is simply this. That the Holy Spirit has made these men overseers. That's what Paul says. That the Holy Spirit is active in the process. And that means that as we get ready to appoint elders in our church, it's not just a human exercise. It's not just an exercise on the part of the church. It's an exercise in which God is active. God is doing something. And when I think about our church and what we want to get accomplished, that's important. But what's most important is that God wants to do things here, that he is active in the process. And that means we need to seek his face. We need to be praying and asking God to bless us as we appoint elders and for the Holy Spirit to be part of the process of appointing these men to help lead within our church. The Holy Spirit is a part of this process. If the Holy Spirit appoints our elders... We can't take that appointment lightly. We can't take lightly their role in the church, even their authority in the church, because the Holy Spirit is the one who appoints them. And so as we move through this process, I don't know how long it will take. We need to be thinking about what it means for these men to serve in this way. The kind of character that's required for them to serve in this way. And the fact that the Holy Spirit is part of the process, wanting to lead us through it, but most of all, lead and appoint them into this position of leadership within the church. It's an instructive passage. 
full of guidance about what it means for us to appoint elders. And I hope that you go back and refer to this text again and again as we think in the coming weeks, months, about what it means for us to appoint elders in the congregation. Let's pray. Holy Father, as I think about Paul putting together these thoughts on what it means to serve as a shepherd in your church, it's so clear to me that he was... He was so um, reflective. He was so focused. He had such wisdom that he wanted to communicate to these men whom he loved. He saw the depth of the responsibility. He saw the challenges. And he communicates to them these challenges. Father, I pray that as we reflect on what it means to be an elder, as we think about appointing new elders in our church as time goes on here, that you'll bless us with great wisdom. And Father, most of all, I pray that you would bless those men who may stand in this role. Guide them that they might have hearts like we have described. Father, help us to look for people for men who are willing to make sacrifices, who are willing to put themselves out there for your sake. Father, I pray that you'd help us to find them, help us to know who they are. And so bring together, Father, hearts of ready men and our ability to see who they are. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would work through that process to appoint perfectly those people who need to serve in this role. We pray these things through Christ. Amen.